ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, Dan Fitzgerald here with you for the program today. Thanks a lot for your company. Well, Santos had a big win in the federal court yesterday with construction being allowed to continue on a pipeline from its Barossa gas field to Darwin. Santos had a rig stationed in Darwin and basically on standby for well over a year. I've seen estimates of the cost to Santos of that is about $350 million. Yeah, the company's waited a long time and as you heard there, it's cost a lot of money. What does this decision also mean for the broader industry? We'll take a look today. We'll also be talking about ESG. It's an acronym that's being raised more and more. What does it all mean for ag? You'll find out soon. And how about this? An egg producer in New South Wales has found a perfectly spherical round egg. They found it and brought it back to my partner Jody while they were grading eggs and then the excitement began. It's quite amazing what actually comes out when you've got this volume of egg and on a daily basis you get all, all wonders. Yeah, a round egg. You'll hear that story on the Country Hour today. First up, let's talk about the weather. There's plenty going on. There's a severe weather warning still in place for heavy rainfall and damaging winds for people in the Daly, the Tiwi, the Arnhem, the Gregory and parts of the Carpentaria and Barkley regions. So that tropical low within this Montroon trough, it's currently centred around Victoria River Downs and it's deepened over the past 24 hours or so and it's likely to move to the east-southeast further inland today. Uh, there are scattered six-hourly rainfall totals expected between 100 to 160 millimetres, also damaging wind gusts with peaks of around 90 kilometres an hour possible. There's also some flood warnings out from the Bureau of Meteorology. There's been some good rain in the Victoria River districts, sort of 114 mils at Cattle Creek, 91 millimetres at Kalkaringi. And so, yeah, that's meant that there is a flood warning out for the Victoria River. It is expected to see a rise over the next few days. And the Victoria Highway, it is still closed, according to Roads NT, due to flooding between the Vic River Roadhouse and Timber Creek, uh, though we have heard that some vehicles have passed through this morning. Uh, VD Retchford is a ranger there at Timber Creek, And, yeah, she says they haven't really had a break in the rain for the past three days or so. We've had constant drizzle, sometimes heavy, sometimes light. It's a little bit light, so that's probably why we're staying connected on the phone at the moment. (laughs) So, um, but, yeah, we've got a light drizzle. We've had a lot of rain. It's pretty wet all around, and it's been constant um, for days. Previous days, we've had little breaks here and there, Uh, sun trying to shine through. But, um, yeah, last 24 hours it's constant, but not as much rain as, as we expected. So we've got the 60 mil overnight. So I don't know how, the, how that'll go if we continue through the day. Mm. But not expecting any sunlight today anyway. 
And what's going on in on the Victoria Highway? So there's a section of that where there's water over the road and it's closed. Yeah. So yesterday um, there was there was water over the road, um, which held a truck up just to side of um, the roadhouse. There wasn't any part, you know, wasn't any um, tra- transportation or vehicles coming through yesterday. The road is currently closed between us and Victoria. River Roadhouse, but we do know that um, traffic is moving up and down there. But the road closure has hasn't been lifted there yet. But the road, there's been a bit of a break between us and the Kununurra West Australia border uh, yesterday. But vehicles and trucks were coming through there last night, early hours of this morning. We had a few trucks banked up in town here last night, but. They started to move off fairly early this morning, to, heading towards Catherine. So people are getting through at the moment? Yes, as far as I know, they can at least get all the way to um, Victoria. But it's really, um, you know, how much rain falls in the little creeks and the, and the low areas and the ability for those creeks and low areas to run out. Can you paint us a bit of a picture, like how much water is on the road at the moment? Oh, well, floodways are normally coming across. Some floodways are fairly eased now. Um, Yesterday morning and the night before, they were up pretty high. Truckee that got caught just the side of um, Victoria River had said that there was about 200 metres of length of the water across the road there where he was pulled up. So there was 200 metres of water to drive through there. So he hung back there and waited until it went down. Yeah, right. And more rain's expected on the way? Yeah, so it's supposed to be um, running in a south, the, the low is supposed to be in a south-easterly direction, but, um, yeah, we're still getting breeze from the southeast. <laughs> I don't know how fast that's going to move. And I spoke to your sister Mel. She's at the Vic River Roadhouse, so she's on the other end <laughs> of of the flood uh, at the moment, and where the road is closed. But yeah, it sounds like it's been really busy on her end, which is not it's not supposed to be this busy this time of year for her. Well, not not normally. I mean, you normally get a lot of traffic going through, but water across the road is going to um, hold up some traffic, so <laughs> yeah, it, but it is a little busy. I think I counted um, six trucks here this morning when I went out to one of the communities, but apparently I, I was talking to um, the Greyhound bus mob and another guy that had come through from Kununurra Way, and um, they were telling telling me there was trucks all over the road there up in the town area, even parked right in the middle of the road with the lights on all night. Wait, waiting to go through so on the road closure so yeah you mentioned this year you're a lot more prepared than last year can you talk us through what happened last year oh well last year the um, flooding was sort of fairly unexpected and probably because you know the Christ- christmas time when the when the um, cyclone came in it just sort of pushed and held up the rivers and everything so you couldn't get an outward flow and so all the rain came across and that's how the town flooded. We got cut off again in January, but that was because of another low that went out and went through all the catchment areas. So we had a couple of days um, grace there. But the hardest thing was um, 
you know, because people had to be evacuated out of out of their communities and finding places to get them to. Bradshaw um, Army Base took took a fair few people. There was people all over the place, really, in the town area. But we're not experiencing that. The river, there's still plenty of room in the river at the moment for water. It still gets a little bit impacted on when, um, you know, high tide reaches us. So we're about a couple of hours behind the Darwin high tide. So, and it'll slow the outwash of the creeks. But So, yeah, nowhere near as bad as last year, but um, definitely slowing people down over the last yeah, two days. Yeah, so it's just a slowdown and just have to wait. It waters across the road, don't cross it because you don't know how strong strong those little floodways can be sometimes. How's the country looking with the extra rain? Bloody beautiful. We've got a lot of waterfalls coming off, off the hills and the down the bluffs and things like that. So, But all the dirt roads are closed, pretty soggy, but it's a good look, especially after all the fires. That's Vidi Ratchford. She's with the Timber Creek Rangers. She was speaking there to Annie Brown. And she's right, when there is rain in that escarpment country around Timber Creek, Victoria River there, it is absolutely beautiful, these sort of big waterfalls. They just come off of these flat tops down over the red rocks and out into the valley. It's pretty amazing country. If you're just tuning in, this is The Country Hour. My name is Dan Fitzgerald and it is 2021 on ABC Radio right across the Territory. And according to Roads NT's website, the Vic Highway is still closed between the Victoria River Bridge and Timber Creek due to flooding. The Buntan Highway is also closed between the Buchanan Highway intersection and Wadi Creek at Kalkarindji. Uh, if you want the latest details, just head to the Road Report NT website. There has been plenty of rain in that region. The Bradshaw Training Area had 125 millimetres. East Baines River has reported 70 millimetres and at Lejeune Station out to the northeast of Kununurra the assistant manager there Mark Jarden he's found himself in the unusual position of having to pump water off of a sorghum crop rather than onto it. We're about to um, get another cell um, coming up from Lake Argyle here at the moment so yeah in the next sort of half hour to an hour we'll have another well probably hopefully an inch um, on the ground so yeah we didn't get much here last night only had 35 million overnight at the house. So. And what about yesterday and the day prior? Did you get much then? Yeah, we've had um, we've had 80 mil here in the last 48 hours um, at the house. Um, and then, yeah, some falls um, a bit closer out to the coast. Uh, one night there, not before last, we had 105 mil, um, which, yeah, makes things pretty damp. The cattle are obviously loving it, but I understand you've got some crops in at the moment as well. How are they faring? Yeah, they're going all right. They're um, pretty water-indulged at the moment. Um, we've got a big pump um, here at the moment, just pumping water off our um, dry land sorghum, um, which will be used for our feedlot uh, later in the year, silage. So it's um, been running for, yeah, just over 24 hours here at the moment, and it, yeah, pumps off 100 megs a day. So, um, yeah, if you break that down, it's, yeah, roughly just shy of 1,200 litres per second of water it'll pump off the crop. And Mac, am I right to say that you're a, a southern Queensland boy? How does it feel to be pumping water off a crop, not onto it? Yeah, it's it's different. Yeah, you don't um, you don't really see it very often. Do you reckon it'll be okay when this rain passes? 
it will be okay. Yeah, we just um, fingers crossed. The outlook should be another day of um, yeah, heavy rainfall. Um, so we'll just play it by ear and keep the water pumping off. But um, yeah, after this rain band that comes through, we definitely need sort of a week, a um, bit of a dry weather, a shower or two here and there will be fine. But um, yeah, especially for the cattle as well, they'll be doing it pretty tough um, during these parts of the time. Yeah. Do you reckon that you'll get that week or so of dry weather? I'm looking at the radar now and it looks like it's sort of swirling around Catherine for the rest of the week. Do you reckon you'll be in for some storms off that? Yeah, I definitely reckon um, that'll be the case. We'll just have to uh, see how it goes. Yeah, definitely. Um, Predicting showers and that um, after tomorrow onwards of an afternoon, 20 to 40 mil um, each day. So, yeah, at least it's not up around the two inches. Um, Yeah, things should get back up on their feet. And what are the cattle doing? Are they okay? Yeah, they're going good. I've um, been checking them out the last few days. Um, They're all up on sand ridges and high ground. So, yeah, they're... um, pretty miserable this time of year just with the rain they're sort of sitting around um having a gradual feed uh, when they can when the sun pops out but other than that yeah they do it pretty tough this time of year when um yeah these showers and um heavy storms and that are sitting around yeah and it's been a pretty late start for the wet season with you guys out there has it it has alice yeah we've um yeah the 380 mil um year to date um has only been sort of just in january as such so um, yeah, it's a pretty late late year, but um, especially for Lejeune that when all the low-pressure systems and the monsoons come through is normally late January, February, so we still probably have a fair bit more to come, I reckon. I'm thinking back to your last year's average, which I haven't checked that recently, but I do have the figure 700 drilled into my brain. You've still got a, a fair few inches to go to get up to that. Yeah, we yeah we still got a fair few to get up to that, so... As I said, yeah, we've still got a lot to come. Um, February, I think, is the wettest um, time up here. So February, early March. So, yeah, we'll just have to um, play it by ear and see how we go. I'm Mark Jarden. He's the assistant manager at Lejeune Station, which is right on the NTWA border just to the northeast of Kununurra. And he was speaking there to Alice Marshall. Now, over at Lakefield Station, which is just near Mataranka, that property's had 264 mils over the last week. And Gary Riggs there, he's pretty happy with all of that. He says the rain, it's been uh, quite consistent. Yeah, for us, we've been having big, heavy showers coming through pretty well every day and uh, getting 30 to 60 millimetres out of them for the last seven or eight days, actually. And, uh, yeah, it's good heavy heavy rain, but it gives us a break and then it comes again. And, uh, yeah, cattle are looking after themselves out in the paddock and uh, we got them all, all sorted and in paddocks and things like that. And, uh, yeah, they've got plenty of room to move and, and uh, yeah, they'll be looking, you know, liking a bit of rain and that grow a bit of green grass and, uh, yeah, all the cattle will be good. You say th- 30 to 60 millimetres fell uh, in the last couple of days sporadically. Is that, is that, a, is that rain welcome? Yeah, it is that type of rain, you know. It's, it just, yeah, fills up some dams and uh, does, does good to the water table. It sort of soaks in, you know, and uh, sort of not, not big, big falls where it all runs away in creeks and, and uh, 
watercourses and things that just stays here on the station, you know, and fills up our water table for later on, basically, and uh, all our water storage. And uh, you guys are quite far away from a river, so there's no danger of flooding and whatnot, is there? No, we we don't have any rivers on the station. Uh, We have a river a couple of kilometres to the south of us uh, on a neighbouring property, but, uh, yeah, it's got a long way to come come up here, so we need a lot more rain than what they're forecasting, I think, for us to get into trouble. So moving away from the rain talk, how do you think the cattle market is looking for the rest of the year? Well, I'm sort of hoping it's it's going to be quite good. We've had offers for three dollars ten at the moment, and uh, but yeah, it's sort of not much good to us. That while we've got a lot of rain about our roads, only a dirt road from the beach, and we've got thirty k of dirt, and and to get livestock moving on dirt roads in the middle of the wet season, it's just impossible. So uh, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, just hoping that it it stays stays like that and keeps moving positively along at at above three dollars, you know, and uh, it'll be a good season for us. Do you think the prices will bounce back? Oh, I'm I'm hoping so, but I, I don't think we'll get much more than three fifty. Yeah, we even even at three fifty, it'll be okay. But yeah, we're not going to see five dollars like we have been in the past, but. Uh, but I, I think the uh, best we can hope for is getting the three dollars fifty and uh, for feeder steers and stuff, and and then slaughter cattle job pretty good. But uh, yeah, we've just got to be positive. Luffy skin is still out there, skin lesions and things like that. So yeah, we still we still have issues there. Uh, we just got to get that sorted as soon as we can, and yeah, we'll have a good season. Gary Riggs, he's from Lakefield Station, which is out to the southwest of Mataranka, speaking there with our Catherine reporter, Jan Kahoot. It is 12 to 1 here on the Country Hour. Well, yesterday Santos was given approval to continue construction on its gas pipeline from the Barossa Field in the Timor Sea to Darwin. A group of traditional owners had been challenging the approvals process for that pipeline, but the Federal Court found yesterday that Santos had no case to answer and that the pipeline could be built in a route past Bathurst Island. Now, this is a big win for Santos, which has been beset by delays to the project, costing the company a whole lot of money. Rick Wilkinson is a gas industry analyst. I spoke with him about what this outcome all needs means for Santos and the wider industry. It was very significant, not just for Santos, but for the industry in general, uh, I do think it reaffirmed, I think, two key principles. Firstly, that, you know, absolutely we must consult with traditional owners. Uh, major projects need to do that. And secondly, that no one is above above the law. So it was good to see that those uh, principles were upheld in the case. What it meant for Santos, of course, is that um, they're able to now move on with their project and uh, uh, start to um, complete the drilling and installation of the pipeline. Just how significant have the delays caused by this and other court actions been for the Barossa project? Well, it's been quite significant. Uh, Santos had a rig uh, stationed in Darwin um, basically on standby for well over a year. I've seen estimates that the cost to Santos of that is about $350 million. So very significant in terms of dollars and very significant in terms of 
just the uncertainty it builds into a project um, when you have to mobilise pipeline barges, barges to delay subsea pipelines. This takes quite a long time to, to bring together, to project manage, and all of that wound up with question marks over it as to where it would go forward. So quite difficult to proceed in that environment. Santos is hoping to deliver first gas from the project in 2025, just next year. Do you think that's possible? Well, it's a it's a big challenge, particularly with the delay that's been put in place. Um, they've obviously had quite a bit of time to um, consider the implications and uh, what they need to do when a judgment uh, comes down. So obviously they would have considered that. Um, they were quite advanced in the drilling program before it came to a halt. Um, and the next question will be, the availability of the pipeline barge and its ability, contractual availability to complete that in in time. So it's a big challenge. And currently Santos is getting no revenue from the Darwin LNG plant because its feed source has run out. So is there quite a bit of pressure on the company to, to get this project up and running? Well, in, in effect, you're quite right. What they have right now is the Darwin LNG project sitting there um, only waiting on a gas to, to feed into it. And so that's a, a huge investment that's just sitting idle waiting on, on gas to, to move through. So they'll put on a lot of pressure to hit the particular project deadlines. The gas industry lobby says that Australia's approvals process for projects like the Barossa need to be reformed. What do you think the federal court's decision says about that and does does it back that up? Well, it certainly does, um, but there's two things going on here. Firstly, uh, there is the outcome after going through all the litigation and the various court processes to finally get an answer. So there's no doubt that that would uh, bring a lot of relief to, to Santos to, to get an answer and the project back on, on deck. What it hasn't done is address the fundamental problem of you know, what is the right way to go about consultation, uh, what exactly needs to be done and clarity about that. So the, those particular issues were not solved uh, with the uh, Sandos ruling. Uh, so those things are still uncertain, uh, undetermined and really raised doubt on anybody who wants to move forward with a major project in Australia. Yeah, so just how closely were other oil and gas operators watching this case? Well, they would have been watching very closely. We've already seen the first instance of uh, litigation impacting um, projects. Uh, this happened with the Scarborough project in Western Australia where uh, a single individual uh, raised an issue regarding seismic activity which was needed to help map the subsea um, subsurface reservoirs of, of gas that were needed for the Scarborough project. So there is no question that the track record to date is uh, very litigious, um, that uh, environmentalist and some traditional owners have chosen that path. And what that does is, Ray, put real question marks over uh, the timelines that you've got on your projects, um, the certainty, and just the validity of the permits that you get from the government. Uh, uh, Santos had um, uh, the permits necessary to proceed and then actually started drilling the well before it came to a halt. All of this adds to the uncertainty. All of this adds to the timeline of projects. And what does that mean? It means it increases the cost of the projects. It increases the um 
the uncertainty that needs to be allowed for before a project will go ahead means less projects or a higher hurdle for projects to go ahead before um, before they can be implemented in Australia. And and that's a that's a, a serious indictment on Australia because we normally were seen as a country where uh, large projects were well well looked after, where large projects could proceed under a, a well known uh, regulatory framework, and you could be reasonably certain of, of the outcomes once you've got the required approvals. Uh, the question at the moment is that is that still the case in Australia? And the question mark is maybe not. Rick Wilkinson, he's a gas industry analyst and he's the CEO of Energy Quest, speaking there about uh, Santos's Barossa project and what the recent court decision means for it all. Uh, the Australasian Centre for Corporate Responsibility, it has estimated these regulatory delays could have cost the Barossa project up to $800 million. That is a whole lot of money. Santos is still uh, expecting first gas for that project next year. G'day, I'm Chris Howie from Bindaroo Passes in the Douglas Daily. I never get to listen to the country air out here because we don't have radio reception, so I download the podcast at breakfast and listen to it throughout the day. And you're listening to the country air. G'day there, Dan Fitzgerald with you on this Tuesday lunchtime. Thanks a lot for your company. Still to come in the next 25 minutes or so, we're going to catch up with an egg producer who has found a perfectly round spherical egg. They found it and brought it back to my partner Jody while they were grading eggs and then the excitement began. It's quite amazing what actually comes out when you've got this volume of egg and on a daily basis you get all, all wonders. Yeah, I've seen double yokers, triple yokers, but I've never heard of a round egg before. If you haven't, if you've seen one, please do let us know. 0487 1057. Let's head to the Weather Bureau now. We've got Juliet Barsden with us today. How are you, Juliet? Well, thank you. And you? Yeah, I'm doing good. Uh, let's talk about some rainfall figures overnight. A uh, couple of places that uh, well I broke the 100 mil mark. Yes, quite a few of them. Uh, the highest totals to 9am today is Adelaide River East at 143.5. Then Adelaide River West at 140.5. Elizabeth Downs, 131. Upper Adelaide River, 128.2. Bradshaw Training Area, 125.2. Mount Nanka, 124.5. Tipperary, 124. Beerboom Crossing, 123. Daly River Police Station, 116. Cattle Creek, 114.4. Anti-Wildlife Park, 114.2. Noonamah, 113. Haywood Creek, 111.6. Upper Wickham River, 106.4. That's quite a few locations are cracking 100. Yeah, that is. Um, I've seen Tipperary Station um, right on Facebook that, yeah, uh, 124 mils overnight, as you said, and it takes the eight-day total to 620 millimetres and still raining. Um, yeah, there's a lot of rain about, and that saw the uh, Adelaide River rise quite 
a lot overnight. Um, I've seen some images of uh, the Adelaide River at the town there, almost reaching the bottom of the bridge. Um, do you know what height it's currently at? Rebecca, uh, yeah, I can see that it got up to hundred. Uh, sorry, eleven point five three this morning at around five o'clock, and currently it's gone down just a, a little bit. Uh, currently sitting around ten point eight or so. Yeah, okay, and uh, that's not, certainly not the only river on the rise. Uh, we've got some flood warnings out for the Victoria River. What do people need to know? That's exactly right. So we have a, a few flood watches and warnings current. Uh, there's minor flooding occurring at Adelaide River Town currently with rainfall totals up to 140 millimetres observed across the Adelaide River catchment since 9am Monday to 7am Tuesday, which has caused the rapid uh, river level rises in the upper catchment. Um, and then also we have a flood warning for Daly River with... Minor flooding likely at Delhi River Police Station during Wednesday afternoon and um, also flood warning for the Victoria River uh, with rainfalls of between 90 to 200 mils recorded across parts of the Victoria River Basin in the previous three-day period to 10 a.m. Tuesday um, and also flood watch for Northwestern NT with catchments wetting up there as well. So... Um, we currently have a severe weather warning current, uh, which provides a bit of a, a summary of the current area where we're expecting heavy rainfall associated with the low in the monsoon trough and around the, the base of the top end, the lows currently over the uh, Gregory district. And so that's bringing in a lot of the heavy rainfall, which is uh, with the monsoon, which is expected to continue. So looking at seeing these falls of around um, 100 millimetres continuing in that, um, particularly around the west of the low, so in the, the South Daly and, and Northern uh, Gre- um, northern Gregory in particular, um, likely yeah, to continue to be that, seeing that, that over the next few days. The Victoria River region is copping quite a bit of the rain. Is that um, is it heading that way? What, what, what direction is the, the, um, the low going? So the low has been um, deepening today and it's moving very uh, slowly to the, the east, um, east, um, southeast. So, um, over the next four days or so, it's very slow moving. Um, but then by the weekend, there's a bit of variation which direction it could move after that. Any chance it could head to central Australia? Yes, there's, there's a chance that it could move further south and bring heavy rain across central and southern parts later in the week. So, that that's a possible scenario. Yep. Um, and has the Barkley, um, there's not a lot of rain gauges out that way, but uh, has any of the showers and storms made their way to the Barkley? Um, so just bringing up those 24-hour rainfalls, not a lot of totals in central parts that I can see, um, but there was uh, 114 with Cattle Creek uh, and some much smaller kind of totals and yep. uh, at 1.6 at Rabbit Flat, yep. 2 at Tennant Creek. Uh, so you have to hunt for them. <laughs> yep. Um, and um, in Central Australia, uh, the hot weather is continuing. There's still still heat wave warnings, eh? Yes, heat wave warnings continue, particularly for the Lassiter. So they're just in that clear zone. So while that that persists, uh, which are likely will for the next next few days or so at least, um, they'll continue with that that heat for the area. Yep. Okay. Um, anything else we need to know today, Juliet? 
that's about it for today. Thanks a lot for the update. Thank you. It is 11 past one here on the Country Hour. G'day, my name's John Lyon and I work with compost in the Northern Territory to help farmers improve their soils. Compost and mulches are absolutely essential to good farming in hot climates like ours. And you're listening to the Country Hour. G'day there, Dan Fitzgerald is my name. You might be listening to the Country Hour on the radio, the old-fashioned way, on ABC Darwin and the Northern Territory. There's other ways to catch us, though, is via the Listen app, where you can listen to us live on your phone, or you can also use the ABC Listen app to download our programs and listen to us at any time you choose. Well, more and more NT consumers and people right across Australia, really, are starting to think about where their food is coming from and how it's getting to them before they buy it. In the corporate sphere, this sort of all falls under the label of ESG, when people take into account environmental, social and corporate governance issues when making decisions about purchases. Now, Munro Hardy, he's the Director of Mutual Food and Fibre. He's based out at Carbine Park uh, near Catherine. He told Victoria Ellis why he thinks it's important that agricultural industries recognise the importance of this ESG in their practices. ESG, I think, is evolving now. has been for a number of years. It's maturing, I think. Um, we're seeing... A lot of the corporates now uh, have got a, a strong mandate for ESG responsibilities. Um, not so much maybe in the private private space with smaller operators, um, but I think it is critical for our industry now moving forward. Again, I, th- I think it's a piece about sharing our story and what we're doing so that we can we can back up our claims around sustainability metrics, um, biodiversity natural capital, whatever those claims are that we're making, sustainability-wise, even production-wise, our production systems, how we grow our cattle and, and bring those products to market so that our consumers know um, that they're buying responsibly sourced products. What do you think is the perception at the moment about how food and fibre gets to people and the way it's produced? That's a great question. I think, I think that varies in contrast between regions. I mean... The cities, I think, um, we see a lot of people that are disconnected to agriculture and their food system, where their food comes from. Uh, but, you know, we see a lot of work going on in this space now um, through the industry trying to promote what we do, um, whether it's food or fibre. Uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of programs now, um, podcasts, for example, even something like the Humans of Agriculture podcast that shares those stories of just everyday people through the industry, but also leaders, but brings that to the general public where they can sort of understand a bit more about the agricultural system and, and industry and um, our food system, where it all comes from. So I think there's a lot happening in that space, but I, I guess generally um, I see a big disconnect between the general population and understanding their food system. What sort of threats do you think it has for both the wider community and people who work in the agricultural and primary production industries does that disconnect have? What sort of threats does the, that disconnection present? It, I, I agree, it does present a few threats. Um, I think for us, you know, our, our things like carbon pro- programs now, these projects or biodiversity projects, um, talking about natural capital, we use a lot of emotive words in those systems and, you know, when it comes to criteria that we've got to meet, um, deforestation is a word that comes to mind that obviously... You know, in a carbon project, there are words around that. But if you don't meet that criteria for whatever reason, um, you might be labelled as deforestation when 
that is actually part of a, a traditional system. But that word alone is scary to consumers, and, and I think that then sets us apart and almost causes a bit of friction between farmers, producers, and the general public as consumers, where they they hear these words of deforestation, and, and you know that brings to mind some pretty horrible pictures. But um, sometimes that's just not the case, and it's just part of a traditional system that may not be uh, meeting the criteria for something like a carbon project. Um, so it's, it's really telling our stories and, and what we are doing and keeping connected to the consumer, I think, is really important. Otherwise, we do set ourselves apart. And I guess um, agricultural primary production is important because that's how we have everything, right? But how do you find that balance, do you think, between having things <laughs> and being able to live, those sorts of things, versus preservation of environment and all those other sorts of concerns? Again, I think... Um, it comes down to data and, and having the ability to back up the claims that we're making. Um, it's storytelling, so it's, it's, I think, getting the consumer involved and understanding the supply chain, if we can, and, but more so share our stories as producers, too, of who we are, what we do day to day. Um, take them on the journey with you, because I see a bit of conflict happening now between consumers and, and farmers, where people are demanding more from the farmers and from the produce that they're buying um, and they want to know that it's ethically produced um, so I think the balance is in bringing your consumer on the journey and you mentioned data there do you mean making sure that you have the data so that you can see right the positives here are outweighing the negatives yeah absolutely I think um, all the way from the ground up in our production systems I mean it, data on your grazing and your rotation, how heavily you're stocking paddocks, um, you know, set targets and benchmarks for pasture minimum. So we know that we're not overgrazing and therefore we're retaining more water in the soil. We're not putting such a large bird burden on our natural resources. Now, the customer's not obviously going to see that data, but if there can be a system in place, whether that's a certification scheme that you meet criteria to be a part of that scheme as a producer that uh, that criteria might be that you have to have some of this data certified and checked that you're doing the right thing if we have integrity in that system then with a label or with that scheme a consumer will then know that the food they're buying has been through this process and it's been certified as sustainable or ethical and, and whatever they need to to meet that criteria Munro Hardy he's a director of mutual food and fiber based out at Bean Park, out to the southwest of Catherine. You're speaking there to Victoria Ellis. Just having a look at the weather radar right now. Looks like a nice little shower has just gone through Catherine. And, yeah, there's a few showers around the top end today. Uh, Larimer getting some rain. Coolabar and Timber Creek out in the VRD. Um, there's also some scattered showers in Darwin's rural area. And as we heard there, there's plenty more to come. And there are some warnings out for most of the top end, a severe weather warning for um, yeah, pretty much all the top end right down into the VRD. So uh, there are going to be some heavy rainfalls and lots of wind in the next few days. So please do take care if you're outside. It is 20 past one here on the Country Hour. My name is Dan Fitzgerald. Thanks a lot for your company. Uh, up next, we're going to be talking about eggs and very specifically one farmer who's found a perfectly round egg. That's after a bit of Paul Kelly.
Paul Kelly there with Love Never Runs On Time. My name is Dan Fitzgerald and you're tuned into the Country Hour on ABC Radio right across the Territory this Tuesday lunchtime. Well, a very rare egg has been found on a farm in New South Wales, Woodland Valley Farm. It produces over a million eggs a year and the owners say that this is the first round egg that they've ever seen. Fabian Fabro, he told Kim Honan about the chicken that he, he believes is responsible for this spherical egg. She was in amongst 450 other friends, so she's uh, remained anonymous at this point. <laughs> um, yeah, she's in amongst a caravan of, I think the girls, the age of those girls would be about a year and a half old. Were you a bit surprised when you found it and who found it? One of our egg collectors uh, picked it up in the daily run. The eggs are collected early in the morning um, each day and they found it and brought it back to my partner Jody um, while they were grading eggs and then the excitement began. So because it's a round egg, does it not meet the grade? Well, absolutely. It's a perfect egg. The shell's lovely. There's no cracks. There's absolutely zero reason uh, other than the rarity and um, excitement behind it that it wasn't put in with the others for sale. And um, your hands do create some uh, weird-looking eggs because a couple of weeks ago you posted a capsule egg. Yeah, I mean, Mother Nature's a, uh, a funny beast. Um, she's definitely not perfect, but she tries her hardest. And, yeah, we get amazing all, all manner of eggs from our first round egg to massive double yokers. We've also had an egg inside an egg, which was a bit of a surprise. We didn't get that one uh, documented, unfortunately. That one was a sun- Sunday morning breakfast, turned out to be. We had the capsule egg that was um, looked like a, a capsule from a Panadol or whatnot. And we get soft shell eggs. Um, yeah, it's, it's quite amazing what actually comes out when you've got them this volume of egg and um, on a daily basis you get all all wonders. Okay, can you explain to me why eggs are shaped the way they are and why they aren't round? So I've done a bit of research on this one too and the only there's two main schools of thought. I'd agree with one but not not so convinced on the other and the first one is that they're um, oblong shaped or oval shaped rather to... um, prevent them rolling out of the nest as easy. So obviously birds um, lay a cluster of eggs, some in sort of safe nests and others in fairly precarious positions. So the shape of the egg prevents or um, doesn't prevent but slows it down and stops it from rolling out of the nest. The second reason that I've found is that um, people say for the strength, the strength of the, the shape is quite strong but it is only on one axis and that's from long end to long end. You may have seen school experiments where kids have stood on the tops of eggs um, and it holds the weight of a child or adult even quite easily if you get it in exactly the right point. But I can't see um, why Mother Nature would design an egg that way when the bird actually sits on it on its shortest axis. So, yeah, they're the two reasons that I've found, but I'm guessing the main one would be to stop it rolling out of the nest so easily. And so what have you done with this round egg? At the moment, it's sitting on my partner's desk, sitting there, not sure what to do with it at the moment, but um, yeah, we'll see where where it takes us. What you did discover is that the egg isn't perfectly round, (laughs) Um, just slightly slightly off, a few mils. It it is. I put it on the vernier calipers and it is, well, 
Jody, my partner, put it on the vernier calipers, I should say, and it was a couple of mils out of perfect, being geometrically perfect. But looking at the other couple of eggs that have been posted online, it does look more spherical than theirs, that's for sure. Are you tempted to just crack it, you know, and have a taste? <laughs> uh, yeah, there's always that temptation for sure. Maybe it will end up on a um, poached on and a nice piece of sourdough with avocado on a Sunday morning. Who knows? That is Fabian Fabro. He's from Woodland Valley Farm on the New South Wales north coast, speaking there with Kim Honan. Time now to check in on the cattle markets. Let's head to Roma, where David Friend has the details. All the regular processes, feedlots are backgrounders in attendance and operating, buyers were able to absorb the large numbers plus improved prices in places. Lightweight dealing steers under 200 kilos topping at 464 with the 200 to 280 kilo yielding steers making the 452 to average 405. Yielding steers 280 to 330 kilos average 399 making to 468. Yielding steers 330 to 400 kilos returning to the paddock topped at 452. Yielding steers 400 to 480 kilos to feed made to 392. Yielding steers over 480 kilos also to feed made to 352. Growing steers 400 to 500 kilos sold from 270 to 310. Growing steers 500 to 600 kilos topping at 248. Bulls under 450 kilos made to 426, most selling from 238 to 363. With bulls over 450 kilos selling to 254. This has been David Friend from the National Livestock Reporting Service. Thanks for that, David. Uh, in the live export trade, uh, there's not a lot of action, uh, but there are a few quotes getting about. This is what Gary Riggs from Lakefield Station told us earlier. We've had offers for $3.10 at the moment. But yeah, it's sort of not much good to us that while we've got a lot of rain about. Yeah, just hoping that it's, it stays stays like that and keeps moving positively along at, at above $3, you know, and uh, it'll be a good season for us. Looking ahead at Darwin Port's shipping schedule, the live export ship, the Nine Eagle, is due into port this Friday. But that's the only one I can see for the next week or so, according to the shipping schedule. That's it for the Country Hour for today. Thanks a lot for joining me. Uh, We'll be back uh, tomorrow at a different time because of the cricket. We'll be broadcasting during the lunch break at 11.05. I'll speak to you then. 